You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. been a slight change this week as we've been recording in the common room of the archaeology department. Uh, for that reason there may be some slight background noise as people come in and make themselves cups of tea, so do be aware of that. Otherwise, thank you very much for downloading the podcast and hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Archaeology and Ale podcast. For those of you joining us for the first time, this podcast is usually a recording of a free guest lecture given in the Red Deer pub in Sheffield. The talks are part of Archaeology in the City, a programme run by the University of Sheffield Archaeology Department, aiming to get people of all ages and backgrounds interested in archaeology. However, due to the informal nature of the talks, sometimes research is discussed before publication, and for this reason we're not always able to make recordings of the lecture. Instead, I'm delighted to announce that this week I'll be conducting a short interview with Dr Jenny Crangle about her work on the Rothwell Chapel Channel Project. Or the Channel Chapel Project, I should say. Yeah. So how are you this week, Jenny? I'm fine, thank you. Thanks Good. for having me. No problem. Uh, so could you tell us a little bit about what uh, what got you interested in archaeology? How did you get started? Um, well, I always liked history in school, um, and part of that was kind of learning about archaeology, and I realised that that was something that was really interesting to me, anything about the past. Um, so I did my undergraduate degree in Cork um, on world archaeology. Um, so that incorporated everything from the Vikings to prehistory to early hominids and um, a little bit of paleopathology. Um, and from there, I went on to study more early hominids, Neanderthals, funerary archaeology. Yeah. Then I specialised in osteology, and then came here to see my PhD. Oh, fantastic. So uh, what was your PhD topic? Um, it was everything that medieval people were doing with their dead after they buried them. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, post-depositional disturbance of the dead, why they were doing it, what it meant, um, how it featured in their religion, um, whether it was just an arbitrary practice or whether it was actually meaningful. Um, and turns out it was meaningful. It was quite an important part of uh, medieval religion to disturb the dead. Yeah. And does that tie into your work at Rothwell then? Yes. Uh, one chapter of my PhD thesis was on charnel chapels and ossuaries and that type of thing, curation of the dead. Um, and a big focus of that was Rothwell, um, which is down Northamptonshire, where they've got one of only two surviving medieval charnel chapels. Um, so that kind of was the focus in the case study, and uh, that's where it all kind of started from. Yeah, cool. So back to basics, what is a charnel chapel? A charnel chapel is the official term for what most people would recognise as um, ossuaries or charnel houses. Uh, but I found that in some places, um, in most places even, uh, charnel chapels were called colloquially by the locals um, within a few years of them being built, charnel houses, carnaria, ossuaries, mm-hmm. a whole range of terms. But basically they were um, a room where bones were put um, and curated, not just left there, but they were looked after, um, that were situated below either a church or uh, a chapel um, so that people could come to them and pray within the rooms and pray to the dead. Yeah, 
Okay, and so was this kind of a storage thing, or do you think that there was a more significant purpose? Um, people have always told me, and people where the, the scant um, details that I found, people have said that they were basically storage facilities for the dead, uh, that they had to kind of find somewhere to put bones. Mm. So it's um, just a practical thing. That's what people have always said, but actually what I found was the complete opposite. It turns out that they were designing these places and building these places so that they could put bones inside them, so that they could be revered and looked after. Um, so the functional capacity of it really was not actually what they were meant for in the slightest. They were built so that people could pray to the dead. Um, there's also links to um, purgatory, confession, um, penance. So there's lots of places had a chaplains or priests whose sole duty was to work in the charnel chapel to hear people's confessions and open the doors for pilgrims and that. And that's still how they're used today in, in European countries. So the functional storage facility is kind of a misnomer. Yeah. So when you say people were praying to their dead, uh, why, why were they doing that? Was it for the benefit of the dead? Was it for the benefit of themselves? It was a bit of both, really. Um, medieval people believed that purgatory was a place that if you didn't confess your sins by the time you died, then you had to suffer the penance of that in purgatory. So the more that people alive could remember the dead and pray for the dead and talk to saints and have intercessory prayers for the people in purgatory, the quicker they would get out of purgatory and then on to heaven. Mm -hmm. So these places seem to have had a, a, a fundamental purpose in that way, that they were designed so that people could also relieve their own souls by confessing their sins while alive. They would be given a penance by the chaplain or the priest. Then they would go and say those prayers within the charnel chapel, it seems, um, to the dead, so that they would be benefiting both them to their own soul and the souls of the dead people to help them get out of purgatory faster. Oh, fantastic. So um, just to link this back to Rothwell, uh, we've got listeners from all over the world, so just for the benefit of everyone, uh, could you describe where Rothwell is, what it is? Rothwell um, is a town in Northamptonshire, um, in kind of middle England, I suppose. Um, it's not to be confused with Rothwell and Leeds. Um, there's Holy Trinity Church is where the Charnel Chapel is situated. Rothwell, Northamptonshire, not Leeds, is also Holy Trinity in Leeds. Um, it's a room below um, the church. Uh, the church was built in around, started in around 1100s. In about 1200s, it had modifications to the South and North Isles, and that's when the Charnel Chapel, the room below the, the church, was built. Um, so it dates to between 1200s to 1300s. Okay, fantastic. And what is it that's uh, special or unique about Rothwell? Why did you choose to study it? It's one of only two surviving charnel chapels in the whole of England that we know okay. of that still has bones inside. Um, most of them were destroyed at the time of the Reformation because they didn't fit in with the new religion. So they were either emptied of bones or else that you get freestanding ones as well, which are below just a separate chapel in the churchyard. So they were either destroyed by reformers, um, or they were emptied of bones, or they were sealed, which is what happened at Rothwell. Um, so it's one of only two, the other being Hythe in Kent, um, St. Leonard's Church, uh, that actually has bones still inside. Uh, I think the most recent one that was emptied could have been at Riffin, uh, which was in maybe the seven, uh, 1970s. So it, it is unique to actually see bones within the room as it would have been in the yeah. medieval period. So you found them in situ as they would have been? Supposedly the legend says that they were found by a gravedigger falling through the roof of the Charnoff <laughs> Chapel. But what actually happened, according to the earliest source I can find, is that uh, when they were clearing some debris, because the church was in kind of ruins from about the 1500s, um, a couple of workmen made a hole, um, realised in the South Isle, realised that there was something beneath them. 
um, and saw a little aperture and saw that the room was filled with bones. And from then on, you get mentions of it periodically throughout antiquarian reports and that of there being bones in a room, no one knowing why they were there, what the purpose was, um, but it still being a kind of spectacle for people to attend to and that it, they found it peaceful. No one ever says they found it really scary, mm. um, but they didn't really know what was going on, why the bones were there, what the purpose was. They just saw it as a functional storage facility, which is why we have this misnomer that that's what it was for. Mm. Okay, so when people found the bones, were they arranged in any particular order, do we know? Um, as far as I can make out, in all of the sites where I've got references from, um, the bones were always arranged um, around the edges of the room, which allows someone to come in through the main entrance, which was a permanent feature, um, and walk around the room um, to kind of process, I suppose. Um, so it allows easy access. So not just for people who come in to put the bones inside, perhaps, but also to allow people to come in to view the bones and then come out again. Um, and that's the same as well as it is in, in all of the European sites, because mm. um, this was a pan-European tradition. It was yeah. every medieval Catholic country had charnel chapels. Um, and it, by having them stacked up against the walls, it allowed people to come in and out and move around. Yeah, so movement was an important part. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Visibility and movement were key components of these sites. Yeah, so even though they were underground, was it fairly easy for people to look in and see that? Yeah, they all um, have windows as well, um, again, to allow light to enter the room. And light and visibility is one of the key things that I want to look at in the future, mm. is how um, windows were put in, where they were put in if light entered the room at a certain time of day or a certain feast day or saint's day or something like that or um, at a certain time that mass would have been said to focus light in a certain area. Um, so accessibility and visibility were, were part of the template, I call it, of mm. how they were designed. Um, so they had windows to, so people could pass by and look inside and see the bones. Um, so they were always in a very important and uh, prominent location in the yeah, site as well, visible. the ecclesiastical site. Mm. Oh, fantastic. So uh, going back to Rothwell a minute, uh, how long has the project been going on for and how long have you been involved with it? Um, basically, I have studied Rothwell and Channel Chapel since 2008-9 when I was doing an MSc in osteology. Um, but I only visited the site, I think it was 2012, spring 2012 or 13, um, realised that it wasn't affiliated with any university and no one had really done any research on it, yeah. came back to the department and uh, told uh, Don and Lizzie basically Waving that this, was, yeah, this was something that needed to be looked at <laughs> yeah, yeah. and that the church also wanted people to come and do research on it. Mm. So basically that spring we started taking master's students down in osteology and senior yeah. archaeology and we got people studying and it's kind of just taken off since there. Fantastic. So what kind of work have you actually done on the site? Um, we've had some uh, master students do dissertations on various aspects like um, taking some of the legends, for example, and seeing whether they're true or not. So is it all men and, or is it main, uh, men, women and children? Um, there's two different shades of skulls. There's very pale ones or very light ones. We had a master students discover whether they were actually, uh, whether that represented anything. Mm. Um, I've obviously looked at it uh, from a funerary perspective to understand how it featured in medieval religion and funerary archaeology. And more recently, we've actually done some um, radiocarbon dating on five of the skulls, oh, yeah. which has been really interesting for me. Because um, the main questions I'm always asked are, who are they, why are they here, and how old are they? Yeah. So we've basically answered all three of those questions now. Oh, really? So the radiocarbon dates have come back with really interesting results. Uh, it seems, although we need to do more research, that the dark ones were actually quite recent, um, okay. so from perhaps 1900s. 
Um, so they may have been from a different um, deposition, um, maybe a nearby cemetery that was emptied, or maybe from a skeletal collection from yeah. a medical centre or something. Um, but the lighter ones were actually dated to the 1200s, 1300s, which for me is amazing because yeah. it's these people would have seen the Charnel Chapel being built. They would have seen people using it. Um, and then they ended up in there. And now yeah. we are continuing that process of remembering the dead by mm. studying them and finding out how old they are. Oh, fantastic. So how did people end up in a charnel chapel? That's one of the things that is a bit vague. Um, mm. It was thought that graveyards were periodically cleared when they got full, in inverted commas. Um, and that's how charnel houses came to be. Um, but I found alternative evidence that kind of shows that that's not always the case. For example, at Norwich, mm. they had a charnel chapel built but there, was no bones, there were no bones to put inside them. So the bishop who had it commissioned decided that all of the surrounding uh, graveyards in the town, the city, had to be emptied to bring the charnel to his site. Oh, really? So it's a kind of status thing where he was able to bring... I think so, yeah. Away. So building a charnel chapel meant that he knew that people would visit and yeah. um, pay priests to hear their confession and that type of thing and pray for the dead. Yeah. So I think that um, it could be a combination of collecting bones from different cemeteries. It could be that building works, for example, a lot of the time they might be extending a church and by doing that they're going into a cemetery so they would remove the bones and then put them somewhere, perhaps a charnel chapel or perhaps somewhere different until such a time as a charnel chapel would be built or there'd be space available to store them somewhere else. Um, but who did the emptying of the graves, we don't really know. Um, there's not a lot of concrete evidence for grave diggers in the medieval period, whether it was a profession, whether it was um, done by multiple people, um, whether it was a lay person or not, mm. which is another aspect of research that the Charles Chapel Project is going to look into, um, collaboratively with other people. Um, and we kind of want to know whether it was just a job or whether it was something... I personally believe that it would have been um, kind of this act of contrition. Um, so you're helping yourself by doing this, but you're doing a good deed. Because one of the seven works of mercy was to bury the dead. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, by emptying graves or moving people into eternal chapel, it would have been seen as doing um, a pious act. It would have been yeah. something that would help your soul. And for example, in Sedlik, which I've mentioned already in Kutnhora, um supposedly uh, the graveyard was cleared by a blind monk so that would have been quite tricky yes. um but <laughs> and lengthy yes but again you can see why it would have been seen as like an act of contrition so by yeah. doing that he would have been helping his own soul by helping other people yeah. so i think that there's a whole combination it's not just one answer as to how bones were taken from a grave yeah so in contrast to today where people are, you know, they're kind of freaked out by dead bodies and skeletons, they're seen as scary or spooky, it would have been much more in part of everyday life. Absolutely. In the medieval yeah, world. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that um, this is something that we don't really recognise today, um, that we, as you say, people think that cemeteries, the dead in general, are kind of a bit taboo, a bit weird, we don't want to get involved with them, whereas in the medieval period, they did have distinctions between um, fleshed bodies and uh, skeletonized remains. So they wouldn't have disturbed the dead for many reasons if they were still fleshed. But yeah. once they had become completely skeletonized, then it was it was almost a, a good thing to do mm -hmm. um, to to help. I think they saw them as sentient yeah. um, in some way. So you still had to protect and curate them um, and look after them. So if they were disturbed in some way or um, in order to disturb them, if you were going to, for example, I mentioned like extended church over the cemetery, there were um, regulations about how to do it. It was very structured and ordered. 
um, you do get a lot of intercut and graves um, that archaeologists have done fieldwork on. Um, but it seems that they, as opposed to what we, we had thought, was that they just randomly, haphazardly cut, cut through graves and whether they were fleshed or not didn't matter. It was absolutely the, uh, the opposite. Um, there were very strict rules for how you would disturb a grave and how you wouldn't disturb a grave and who could do it and it was very regulated. Yeah. So I think there's a whole swathe of other evidence that we need to look at in that line of things as well. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, one of the points that you picked up uh, earlier that I wanted to carry on with was you were talking about how you know the way that we look at channel chapels today and going back and investigating mm-hmm. these people, It's uh, you said it's kind of like continuing that tradition of venerating the dead. Is the Channel Chapel open to the public? Can people come down and see this? Yes, it is. Um, It's open to the public every Sunday after they have their morning mass. Um, There's volunteer guides and just uh, members of the church community who show people around. You'll hear the old legends about um, what's in there and why it's there. Um, But it is actually, it is open to the public and people can go in. And if you wanted to go on a different day, you can contact the church and they'll try to arrange for it Mm. to to be seen. But um, for me, I think that that's a very important point, um, that it is still open to the public. Yeah. It's um, There's obviously the conservation issue, um, that you have to be careful with, with remains of the dead. Obviously, yeah. they are people. They were people. We should respect them. Um, but the point that it was originally intended to be visited and seen, yeah. um, I think, is very important to keep hold of that. Mm. Um, and one of the things that the project is trying to do is to kind of make sure that in future years, if there's some reason that people can't go down, if we do have to stop people visiting to preserve the remains or to preserve the room, um, that we still make it accessible in some way. Mm. So we've made a 3D um, version of the the entire site where you can explore it and it's soon going to be available on the website where you can actually use your own computer or mouse to walk around the room. Yeah, what's um, the name of the website? Don't worry about the link, I'll put it in the show notes. Oh, okay, uh, the uh, it's the Rothwell Charnel Chapel cool. Project, yeah. and it's available via the university uh, website as well. Oh, fantastic. So we've got more information about all of our research and what we've done and who we are and what sure. we're doing, and we, um, we're we always welcome for people to ask questions. We've mm-hmm. got a Facebook page too, so if there's any queries, you can just contact me and I'll hopefully answer them. Awesome, so you've really been engaging with the community side of things. From the yeah, that's again, that's one of our main focuses is to not just kind of do research and then walk away from it. It's mm. to do research and show people this is what we've done and this is why we've done it. And um, we want to make to show people that it's not weird. It's not, <laughs> you, you are unique in having a room full of bones under your church in your, your town. Yeah. But it's not a negative thing and it shouldn't be viewed as bizarre or occult or freaky or anything like that. It's actually something that's really reverent and it's very special and um, they should be proud of it. And they are very proud of it, the local community, and they're very pleased that we're there to do work. Um, But yeah, that is one of the main things, community orientated. Um, We have open days every year where Mm. we give free talks and we do um, demonstrations of osteology to show what we can learn from the remains and... Um, yeah, we always we, we do local media and that as well to mm-hmm. kind of tell people as much as we can about what we're doing. Yeah, okay, fantastic. That's been great. Thank you very much. So to kind of finish where we started, so back to talking about you again, what would you say has been the favourite thing that you found question archaeologist dread? Uh, <laughs> I think the favourite thing has been um, the result of the radiocarbon dating that showed that at least one of the, the people inside there was alive seeing the Charnel Chapel being built and then has become part of the remains and um, that we can now tell people. And I think that if if that person was alive now, if they could see what we'd be doing, they'd be very happy with how we've, we've come around. 
and also going to see the sites in in Europe as well has been mm. amazing because it's kind of put it in, in motion and an action for me. Yeah. It's kind of going back in time a little bit and seeing yeah. these because sites. Because they're still used today, right? They are, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, but England is a very unique place to, to research these sites because having been stopped at the time of the Reformation, we've kind of got like a snapshot of how they, they looked at that time period mm. and then comparing them to European sites, we can see how they would have evolved over time. So that kind of, yeah, seeing it's like seeing it come alive again is, is the best part for me. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you very much. That brings us to the end of the interview. Um, yeah, it's been brilliant talking to you. Thank you very much for having me. Right. Take care. That's all for this week. There's so much fantastic stuff coming out of the Rothwell project that it's hard to keep up. I hope you enjoyed hearing Jenny discuss her research as much as I did. If you are interested in looking into the project yourself, you can check out the website at www.rothwellcharnelchapel.group.chef.ac.uk. The URL is a bit of a mouthful, so there'll also be a link in the show notes. You can find them on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash rothwellcharnel. One of the things that Jenny didn't have time to mention in our brief chat is that the Rothwell Charnel Chapel Project, not the Chapel Charnel Project as I keep calling it, is on the front cover of the latest edition of Current Archaeology. Current Archaeology is available to buy from all good news agents and bookstores, or you can subscribe online at archaeology.co.uk. As for ourselves, we have a website at arkinthecity.wordpress.com, that's A-R-C-H in the city. We're on Facebook as Archaeology in the City, on Twitter as at Ark in the City, again, that's A-R-C-H in the city. And we can be reached via email as archaeologyinthecity at sheffield.ac.uk. That's all for this week, but I look forward to sharing our next talk with you from Toby Pillett about Sheffield's woodland heritage. In the meantime, thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Ta-ta! This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.